Let's talk to interesting people. Let's talk about the process of seeing things differently. Let's talk about the craft of molding truth and fiction together to arrive at something new and exciting. And let's have fun while doing it. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast. Welcome to the True Fiction Podcast, where we talk to creative people to find out where all that creativity comes from. I'm your host, Patrick Boggs. Across the table from me is the one and only Norbert Yates. How's it going tonight, Norbert? Keeping really busy. Busy. Yeah, that's, you know what? That's what's going on with our guests tonight, too. These people are super busy. We're lucky to get them in tonight. Tonight, we have two great guests. These award-winning filmmakers have created horror films that have been lauded by Fangoria and Bloomhouse Pictures. True Fiction welcomes Eric Huskisson and PJ Starks of Blood Moon Pictures. Welcome to the show, guys. How's it going tonight? It's going good. How are you? Yeah. Hey, we're doing great. I know you guys are busy, and uh, I'm so glad that we caught you in a time that we could uh, do this interview. I want to go, starts a way back for you guys, but when did it start, when did you guys get together and start working together? 2013, I think, back, um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely back in 2013. I was, I had already been working in the independent film sector since 2008 when I met Eric and what happened was, so I had started a, uh, an indie film series called unscripted that took place at the Davis County public library where filmmakers would come in, show their short films, and then they would follow it up by screening it one more time. But then they would hold like a, uh, live interactive audio commentary experience. So people could ask about, how they made the film and the director would be right there talking about it. And, uh, so one night we did a zombie night where we had like a costume contest and, uh, Eric showed up and was super decked out in his zombie costume. And, uh, I was really impressed with, with what he had done. And funny enough, I was already con- uh, contracted by a local radio station, WBKR to work on this, uh, a couple different promotional videos for them. One was like this really quick little zombie thing. And then another one was this a little bit like a longer of a project. It's like little mini faux documentary. So I'd asked Eric if he wanted to be a part of that. And I said, just dress up like just do this. Cause this looks really good. And, uh, he came that day and we filmed and then we stood around talking afterwards and i was also co-coordinating the scarefest film festival out of lexington and i needed some volunteers to kind of come help and uh so i asked eric if he wanted to come help with that and he said yes hell yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh that's pretty much where it began pretty much after that i just bugged the hell out of what can i do what can i do what can i do i want to help i want to be there i want to do this well, you must have, yeah. must have done something right. You're still around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scarefest, scare I guess, is where it really all started for us. We had, we had time because we drove together, so we had time to talk, learn about each other, learn about our personalities, you know, how we both got started, what we loved, what we didn't love. And um, we just kind of hit it off and became friends. And we, we, there's a pretty good age difference between us. I'm, like, right at 15 years older than PJ is. And, uh, but I mean – we're like really good friends now. I mean, it, 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 not only do we make movies, but it, it's formed a good friendship between the two of us. And we have about the same humor and the same likes when it comes to horror. And we're about the same level of perversion. And, right. Which, which can be good or bad, depending on the situation. But yeah, I mean, it, it just it just worked out. I mean, we could have been in that car and halfway to Lexington, like, pull over and let me out, you ass. <laughs> You know, but I know we just, I mean, we just hit it off. Like it was great. I mean, uh, we, you know, we were, you know, I don't even know what I'm more to say about it. Really. That's well, just where it started. T- so tell me where you're, both you guys are, you're doing these horror movies and they are, uh, what would call what some people would call splatter fest. You know, these are really covered in blood. Matter of fact, volumes of blood, right? So, right. um, <laughs> so w- when did, where did this uh, love of horror start for each of you? Then want me to go first? Do you want to well, go? I'll let him go first because Volumes of Blood was his his baby there. So, uh, 
So for me, it began when I was really, really young. My grandmother, we called her Gigi. Her name was Almeida. Um, so she was a was a huge horror fan. She loved reading Stephen King. She watched a lot of horror films. And now to look at her, you would never know that she was an OG horror fan. Um, but she was. I mean, she looked like the, and I've said this before a million times, but she looked like the Norman Rockwell yeah. apple pie grandma. That, that's what she looked like. But she loved horror films. Um, so her and I, because of her love for horror, I, I would spend the night at their house every weekend. So her and I were pretty much... And, spending every weekend watching, you know, this, and this was the time when, you know, monster vision was around and oh, yeah. tells from the dark side and the hitchhiker and Ray Bradbury theater and all that was on syndication. So we would spend our Fridays and Saturday nights, like watching all this stuff, going out, renting chud and, and all this stuff that and just, you know, watching it together. And, and of course, like later she started taking me to the theater to see movies. So like I saw from dust till dawn with her in the theater, wow. which was, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm like I'm like 11 years old at the time, and I'm seeing this movie, and it was a it was an interesting experience. But yeah, so my love of horror grew from that, and I like all types of horror. I like you know I like supernatural stuff. I, I like the slasher. Slasher is my favorite, which is probably very evident from uh, the stuff you've seen us do because I I do love a, a really cool elaborate death scene. Um, but I also like atmospheric stuff as well. But I think where Eric and I work well together, like a lot of the splatter stuff comes from my side and a lot of the atmospheric stuff kind of, it, it, it comes from Eric's side, but that's really where my love of horror grew. And then of course, later as I was growing up, I wanted to be a writer and then writing turned into wanting to be a director and then eventually directing became storytelling. And then all that's led to now being mostly producing. Oh wow! So what about you, Eric? Well, um, basically, I got out. He, it's his grandmother. I owe it all to my father. As far back, and I, I guys, telling my age here, as far back as I can remember, even in the late seventies, my dad would let me stay up late and watch the old Friday night movies that come on. That just special effects were just horrendous <laughs> movies. You know, the old B movies and stuff, and. Um, probably one of the biggest parties I can remember my mom and dad throwing me, and I don't think I've ever even told you this story, or I've even said I just sit there and had to think about it. Biggest parties my mom and dad ever threw for me when I was younger, I was, I'm going to say around 10 or 11, they threw this giant Halloween party for me. I mean, invited all the neighborhood kids. I mean, my mom and dad decorated everything, and dad had an 8 millimeter. My dad was a photographer back in the day, and uh, he had an 8 millimeter projector, so he bought these two uh, one was the werewolf and one was Frankenstein, the old ones. And we watched that on an eight millimeter projector at just Halloween, no sound, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but I freaking loved them. And then he, he started letting me watch these Friday and Saturday night. And I wasn't so much into the story and what was happening. It was like how they were making the werewolf look so real and how the, the gore looked so real. I got into special effects going back to, that's why I came dressed as a zombie, I kind of have always been into special effects and just my dad doing that and let me stay up late and let me watch all these movies from good movies to B movies. And, you know, then Halloween came out and, you know, the, the fog and Halloween. And then I got a, the, Oh God, I can't even think of the damn name movie. Phantasm. Oh yeah. Those three all be just, and I was just, by the time I got in that age, I was around 13 or 14. I was hooked on horror, just hooked on it. But it was more, it was more of the special effects. And like he says, more of the atmosphere than just the going around and blood splatter to me. I've got a question that I just thought of as, as we was talking that I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but I'm going to try it anyway. So <laughs> we'll give it a try. Give it a shot. So um, I was, I've listened to this one guy talk about, and I'm going to get to where I'm going. So just bear with me for a second. It is he can tell you what issues somebody is going to vote f uh, for given, you know, what's going to be important to them, given their cultural history, whether they're from the Dutch or whether they're from their Yankees, whether they're different. And I was wondering if there is a, in horror, if there's any sort of regional sensibilities that is more popular amongst different groups that you can 
discern? Or if it's just a one big hodgepodge? You're right. That's a terrible question. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think in terms of horror, there, it, it, I don't think you can really tell regionally where one film has come from. And the reason I say that is because the, like the main difference between the horror genre and say like the, the comedy genre is, is what's funny in one area. And this goes for countries as well. Like what's, what's funny here is not always funny elsewhere. But in terms of story, it, it really, what's, what's, what jumps out at you and scares you here nine times out of 10 is going to scare someone somewhere else. So even people who are in California can come up with, you know, a concept for something that takes, takes place in like Louisiana. Right now, of course you have to do your research. If you're, if you don't really, if you're not able to go to that, that area because like I've written scripts that take place in like New York city or Detroit. And I've never been to either of those places, but I had to do my research to kind of figure out like, like what you said, like what the colloquialisms are, what, I don't know, like the, the street names and the, the building names and stuff like that is because you, you, because you, if you, if you write something that's not, accurate or at least at least sort of accurate people are going to call you out on it but i think at the end of the day really what you're trying to what you're trying to get across is whatever the the from a horror genre standpoint is whatever is scary about the story that you're trying to tell whether it takes place in you know the slums of new york or in florida so i but but if someone were to show me a film i'm honestly i probably couldn't tell you where um, unless it was someplace like New York City, maybe I keep going back to New York, but like some some parts of the country, you know, do have certain ways of talking. So you can you can kind of so if something was made if something was shot in Boston, it's probably going to be evident that it was shot in Boston if everybody has a really thick Boston accent. Um, yeah. There's a monster chasing my car. <laughs> right. So <laughs> you the car in the eye. So were you asking that? So were you asking that question based on like like in one area somebody does more slasher, in one area somebody does more thriller? Are you talking about? Yeah, something like that. Kind of. Yeah, I was um, like the like voodoo. I would think uh, just off the top of my head, I would think of something more New Orleans based, Southern Deep South, and then in and you know I don't know in in the coast maybe on the west coast it's more slasher oriented and maybe on the east coast in uh you know in the older parts of the uh the the country there's more haunted houses i don't know but i was just i really haven't i really i guess that's a good question because i've really never thought about that or thought well you know that's jim he lives down there right at the arkansas louisiana border he keeps doing food i never really thought about that the one thing that does stand out out at me with the, your question is, with the indie world, there's so many indie people that do their own original stuff, and I'm not cracking on the people that I'm getting ready to talk about, but you got a lot of people that do fan films. You know, they're, they're doing the Freddy fan films, they're they're doing the Nightmare on Elm Street fan films, and I've noticed a lot of those are like in bigger cities usually. Have you noticed that? Well, I don't. It's just not that I'm not that I'm saying. I'm only talking about the ones I know. There could be a lot more. I was going to say. I was going to say. I mean, I. I don't. I'm not going to say you're wrong. (laughs) But on the flip side, you and I produced a Freddie fan film here in Owensboro. We're not a big metropolis. Okay, but the guy that wrote it, directed it, is in Louisville. I'll give you that. I I think what I think my take on it is that. It's really comes. It really comes down to personal interest. It's it's what because every horror fan is different. Because right. my my personal favorite is slasher films. Like I love slasher films, but I my second favorite is monster films, like creature features. His favorite might be like supernatural haunted house stuff. So what I've noticed is that, or maybe zombie films, <laughs> or zombies, right? So at the end of the day, I think most filmmakers make what they enjoy and what they really want to see. And then you kind of hope that other people will want to see it or enjoy it as well. So I think it really comes down to personal taste 
as to what you really get your rocks off on. Now that because I know some people who just love the shot on VHS horror films, and I'm not a particular fan, and I ne- have zero desire to ever make something like that. But I know people who love those movies, like filmmakers who love those movies, and those are the movies that they're making. So I, I think that's really what it comes down to, just what you're into the most. And then once once you do that, usually you'll want to start kind of branching out and saying, okay, well, I've done this. Now let's see if I can do this next. Going off what he said, if you haven't seen it, if you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan, we did produce, it was called the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the Confession of Fred Krueger, and it's on YouTube. Okay, about I was going to ask that. It's got, about, it's got close to about 800,000 views. Uh, nice. Nathan Milliner, who, Nathan Milliner, who came along and helped us with Volumes of Blood and Volumes of Blood 2, um, after he worked with us, he liked the crews and a couple of the actors and thought, man, I've had this story. I can use these people. And he contacted us, and most of it was all filmed here, a couple of towns close to here. But if you are a, like a Nightmare fan, you like a fan film, like I said, it's like right at 800,000 views, I think. Yeah, I love fan films. I was, and that kind of goes along with my other question. I noticed that, PJ, you made, uh, your, it says, I read your passion project was a short film called A Mind Beside Itself. And I, first, I want to say, I don't know if you know this, but that's also the name of a Dream Theater song. Now, yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it, I'm sure, but um, I thought that was cool. But I, I went on IMDb. This thing has 8.1 out of 10. Sounds like I want to see this. It's a, it's a, like a psychological love story. Is that what it was? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a psychological romance drama. I actually had no idea it was at 8.1 on IMDb, so... Yeah. Um, so that's kind of cool. My question is, how can I see? I want to see this flick. How can I see this? Is it on YouTube or? It's yeah, it's on YouTube cool. for free. You, if uh, yeah, you can just look up. I mean, if you look up uh, Verite Cinema, that's V E R I T E Cinema Films, and then you can type in a mind beside itself. Yeah, it was so. I, I the the very first project I did was, or the first my first serious effort was called Hallow's Eve Slaughter on 2nd Street. And it was kind of a uh, an adult version of Scooby-Doo oh, is wow. really what it was. So it was it was the first time I ever made something, and it was the first time I ever seriously put it out there. And that was also the, the, the first time that I ever got any real criticisms from people that I didn't know. And, you know, when, when you're making stuff, even if it's not great, if someone knows you more than likely, they're going to be like, eh, it's not too bad. Yeah, yeah right. it's, you know, I kind of dug this and I kind of dug that. Even if they hated it, they're still going to tell you that they liked it. So you're, you're, you're really going to get a taste for how people truly feel about your projects when it's coming from a stranger who has no emotional investment in your person. And uh, so I put the movie out there and it got some good reviews and then it got some scary scathing <laughs> review ones that I took personally. And one of the themes that kind of seemed to run through all the, the ones that were bad was it would say that, you know, I had my dialogue was really cheesy and the music choices were cheesy and the, the acting was super cheesy or bad or whatever. And it's, it seemed though those were kind of the things that it, uh, one I remember very vividly said that it said quirky music and lots of blood does not make you Quentin Tarantino (laughs) is what it said about me. So I took that to heart. And at that point I said, okay, well, what can I do next that would be different? And, and what can I make that has some substance that would kind of prove that I can make a story that's not all about blood or gore or cheesy one liners and all that. So that's when I set out to make this con- this short film about a concept I had been sitting on for like four or five years, which was a mind beside itself. And ironically, and I didn't come up with the title, but a guy that I was working with at the time. Now I am a fan of Dream Theater, but so is he, and he is the one who said, "Hey, based off this concept I had, he was like, you should call it a mind beside itself." Nice. So it's funny that you say that because that is where the title <laughs> technically came from. Um, so I, I made the movie and I put it out there and I learned two things from it. One, 
when you make something that's not horror and it's also something that doesn't have like a name attached to it, it is insanely difficult to market. Finding festivals and finding publications and things to do reviews was really, really hard because it's, it's so niche that there really is not a market for it unless you make something that's got a name. Um, but all the festivals that I was able to get it into and the, the reviews that it did get, it was glowing across the board. So at that point, I felt like I had accomplished what I set out to do to prove that I can make something that's because I'm still super proud of it today. I think it's got a really good twist and it ties together really well. And the acting is good and the music is good. And I think it, it came together really well. So after I made that, I said, OK. My, the proof is out there that I'm able to make something that's not horror if I ever decide that that's what I want to do. But that's not really what I <laughs> wanted to do. Like my love is the horror genre. And the big reason for that is because the horror genre, for one, in the independent world, is a lot easier to market. There's publications specifically for that genre. There's conventions. Every film festival has a horror entry section so doing horror is it's a lot easier to get yourself out there but also with horror you can cover every genre it's there's not every genre will mix with every other genre i mean you can you you can mix a couple but with horror you can make a horror western romance action sci-fi bollywood (laughs) if you really wanted to do that i want to see the bollywood end of of that that's for sure (laughs) So yeah, so anyway, so so I went back to horror because at the end of the day, that's where my passion truly lies. And but if you want to see a mind beside itself, it's it's out there on YouTube and you can check it out. And like I said, I'm I don't know how many views it has, but uh, I think it's pretty good. And it's not and once again, it's not a perfect film. There's some cinematography in it, like some shots that are flat or look really independent, you know. But but overall, I, I you know I, I think it's a, a strong piece to show that I'm capable of doing more than horror, but I just, I don't want to do more than horror. It was all right. (laughs) I I, I was wanting to go back to the scathing criticism part. And (laughs) one question I I have here, let me, let me, when you say that, let me turn around so you can see his face when (laughs) you say it now. Well, what I was going to say is a lot of, a lot of artists when they get started, it's, I think the criticism crushes them. And I think yeah. there's a lot of talented artists that get crushed by criticism initially who don't pres- persevere through that. And I think it's the personality that my question is like this. Do you think that you progress more faster because of the scathing uh, criticism or did it hold you back? For me, no. But I, I think it kind of I think it comes down to the type of person you are. I know a lot of people who are terrified to fail. And because of their, 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 them being scared of failing, they don't even want to try to do something. So then they'll never do it. Me, on the other hand, I don't care to fail because if something doesn't work, then I say, well, what can we do or go into a different direction? Or maybe we should just do something entirely different. It, just because something doesn't work doesn't mean you shouldn't have tried to do it. Um, so if you can get past your fear of failure, then you'll, then you'll be able to at least accomplish something. The next hurdle is like what you said. I was new to reviews when I did that movie and put it out there. So when I got these horrible, horrible reviews, and some people get really malicious where they, it, they don't even know who you are, but they like start attacking your character and your beliefs and things. It's like they don't even know what you're about. They just assume based off their own hatred for your for your film. So I can understand people reading these things and going, oh, my God, I'm done. And you're right. Some people do that. For me, I say, is there a nugget of anything that I can pull out of this to then benefit from their criticisms? Now, I fully appreciate a constructive criticism. The, the entire review can be bad. As, if, as long as they're constructive about it, I'm okay with it because usually you can, you can pull little nuggets of, of advice or whatever out of that. And then like you said, use it for the next project and say, well, okay, maybe I should try to do this a little bit differently or, or maybe I should alter my thinking in this with this method or whatever the case may be. But yeah, a lot of people read those reviews and, and it's crushing 
And it was like, I, I, I mean, I was, I took it to heart when I first read the reviews and you can't do that. And after doing it for so long, I've grown this really thick skin where, I mean, you could, you could, you could say PJ's movies is what is why his dad's dead. And it's not like, that's not going to hurt my feelings because maybe you're right. But (laughs) what little nugget can I pull out of there to say, (laughs) what film will I make next that won't kill one of my family members? (laughs) And that's what I'm going to strive to do. So, um, I really kind of just, I think it kind of depends on what type of person you are and what you're able to persevere through just in general. I also think that one way, if you can internalize this idea, it's good. If they hate something you've done, at least you made them feel intense, something intense. I would rather do that. I'd rather somebody hate my stuff than to be indifferent to it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thing is, is once again, you're never going to know until you put yourself out there. That's really the lesson at the end of the day. It's just, I mean, even if you shoot something that's not the absolute best that you can give, there's nothing wrong with that because you're going to strive to do that the next time and then the next time. And you're going to keep doing it because really, if you reach a point where you don't feel like you have anything left to give, like you're the best you can possibly get, then where you don't have anywhere left to go. And there's no, I mean, I, you know, there's filmmakers who make a movie and they're like, Oh, this is their masterpiece. And then they make their next movie and you're expecting a masterpiece. And it's not a masterpiece. So I, 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 I don't think you're ever perfect as, as a filmmaker. Well, I mean, my point, my point on it is, is PJ and I are making low budget art films. And if all of a sudden PJ came up with the, the story of the century and, Somebody gave us $5 million to make this movie. It's, you know, we get it done, get it the way we wanted it. Somebody's not going to like it. It doesn't matter what you do. And that's where when I came on board with PJ, I struggled because I'm like the typical person. I don't like criticism. I'm not going to lie. But it's at the end of the day, I love making horror films. I want to make horror films. And I got to go at it knowing that some people aren't going to like it. And I just deal with it. It's like I was scared to death when I, I wrote my first thing for our movie from the beginning. And I wasn't ready for the criticism for it. And there's a couple of people that didn't understand it or didn't like it. But I've also had people that come forward and said, oh, man, I loved your movie. It was great. So one of those counteracts a lot of criticism for me. But anymore, it's like I said, I go into it knowing that somebody's not going to like it. And as long as I go into it with that mentality, I'm okay with it. I'm still going to strive to be better. And we, we still strive to be that next thing to be that much better than this one. You know, and I'll take constructive criticism like he says and go, what can we do to make it better? And I listen to that. But if it's somebody that's just like the, the scathing, like he's talking about, I don't care. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still try to find something positive, even in the, even in the most, of negative reviews, but some people are just total assholes and they're not going to like anything, no matter what it is. It's the, you know, it's, it's the critic from the greatest showman, which is one of my favorite movies. And it's like, no matter what PT Barnum did, this guy, like he even brought a singer from Europe who was fantastic. And this guy was like, Hey, you still suck. It's like, it does some, some people are just so, yeah, I think miserable in their own existence that they, they have to shit on other things to make them feel like they have some kind of a purpose. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, while you're making more movies and making more art, they're in their mother's basements, you know, just, you know, eating their pop tarts and writing crap about other movies. So they don't go any further usually. Now, I won't, I won't poop on uh, every person who sits in their mom's basement. And it's because, you know, I'm sure there are some some people that have liked our stuff that are these dudes that yeah. are, like, sitting in their mom's basements. No, I think so they're I, all I, bad. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be political for a minute and say I don't think they're all, all, they're all bad guys. But... Uh, those that but pay yeah, for I mean, watching my my mer- get my merch and stuff, they're they're not they're good. Uh, I I have a question that I I've been thinking about a lot, and I I ask 
uh, all are, you know, different genres. And that's the idea of getting closer to what you visualize. So I do art, I've done videos, I've done all kinds of stuff. But in the art space, I noticed in the last couple years, the art that I think of in my head is easier to translate from my head to the page. And I'm wondering if you have seen the ability to see a script or have an idea and visualize that into a product and it and you find it's getting closer to your original vision or what is your sort of your your thoughts along those lines? Uh, well, uh, on my opinion with that, uh, with the scary Annette, we needed a story and I pitched it to PJ on one of our runs and he liked it. And then when this, he's so mad, I think you told me at the time that I should write it. I, it was just a uh, story base at the time and I really had no vent to it. And when we needed this, he's like, hey man, why don't you write that story for this? I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I wrote it and him and I went back and forth a little bit on what he liked and what he didn't. And I, you know, I took some of what he changed, but to be honest with you from mind to paper to on film wasn't where I wanted to be or where I thought it was going to be. Um, a lot of that played into was out of my hands because we are weekend warriors and we have all the actors in for one weekend. Something doesn't work. You got to change right. something on the fly to make it work because you can't afford to have everybody back. And it might be six months for you to get all these people back in the same weekend in the same location or whatever. So that being said, I mean, with it being out of my control, once I watched it in my head, I wanted my story to be creepy. That's where he was talking about earlier. I'm more of the visual, uh, the ambiance of what's going on, and that's what I want. My sequence, I think, is one of the only ones that doesn't have blood in it, and it, that wasn't by design. It just kind of happened. But at the end of the day, I'm happy with the outcome of the story, even though it's not exactly what I wanted, but it got what I wanted to come across. I think a lot of people thought it was creepy and as long as I got that to where I wanted to be, there were some things. The ending was really what got us at the end. Logistically, some things weren't working, and we had to change it on the fly, and we just had to make it work. So the ending to me isn't what I wanted, but the overall outcome, I think, is what I wanted the audience to perceive with the creepiness. So I was happy with it regardless of the ending. I don't know if that answers your question. Oh but. yeah, I think that's a it's a I think that's one of the reasons why I gravitated out of doing video as much into doing art is because I had more control. Uh, yeah, I because I, I I found it for me for I had trouble with the frustration of you know not being able to control all these elements, and so I, I thought, well, I'm going to do something that I can I can have sort of control of. And so I, I admire people that can work within that frame because what you're trying to do is make, you know, all these pieces mesh, you know, these puzzle pieces that may maybe don't quite perfectly fit, fit together. Right. And that's a challenge. And that takes a certain personality type to be, okay, all right, this is not exactly what I was hoping for, but th we'll make this work. We'll make this work. We'll make a great story yeah, out of it. And I, I, I admire that kind of personality. Sometimes I think in that situation, I think true creativity comes out of the person and or the crew of people around. Because when you're forced to have to do something right then, right now you have no choice. Mm -hmm. That creativity, all these minds are going are like, how are we going to make this work? We got to get this done. And I think sometimes it's a benefit because you have in your mind how you want, and that thing that may change may make the story even better. And it, we have had situations like that, but uh, like I said, I mean the the point of what I wanted with the story got across and I'm fine. Was I exactly happy from point A to point B? No, but I'm not upset about it really either. It's just my vision in my head came across, but it didn't come across. Well, I think too, and this, and Eric, Eric, Eric hates when I point this out, but I think it does in this for once and there's an instance where it does, it does play out in a point, And that is, so I've been doing professional video work for over 20 years and I've found that with experience, it gets much easier to translate what's on the page into 
the visuals on screen. When I started, I mean, no, nobody, I, well, I can't say nobody, but most people don't start with, with like, you know, being perfect at whatever it is that they do. But one of the things that I, I seem to be good at fairly quickly was I had an eye for visuals. So I started out as a videographer and, and as an editor professionally, but up to that point, of course, I had a video camera in my hands forever. Um, so I was always trying to find like the most dynamic way to tell a story. And one of the things that, that, that you learn over time is that um, you have to know what your limits are. And the other thing too is, is that you do learn after doing something for so long visually um, behind the camera that you, you're kind of able to gauge visually what you can pull off. But I do, I, and, I, and in some ways, and this is not a knock against Eric, but like Eric's not a videographer, Eric's not a cinematographer. He, he can have the vision in his head, but it probably doesn't translate the same for someone like like me, where I'm I'm able to say, okay, this is the shot I want to get. I can not only visualize it the way I want to see it, like when you're reading in your imagination, but I can also bring that technical side into it and say, well, this is where I would need to do, put the camera, and this is how the lighting needs to be, and this is you know where the actors need to stand, and all this, and I, I can work all that out in my head. And of course, it wasn't perfect in the beginning, but after doing it for 20 years, it gets much much easier. So I had written in 13 Slays Till Christmas, like I had written The Christmas to Dismember. And when I wrote it, it it's not like the hardest thing to shoot, but because uh, it's, it's more story-based. But like the way that you see it unfold visually on screen is exactly the way I envision it in my head. But the odd thing is, is like I didn't direct that sequence. Alex Clark, who was the director of photography for all of our segments, shot and directed that sequence but the one thing that he did was he did talk to me about when i wrote the script like what did i see now alex too professionally is a videographer so he and i were able to talk about like camera specific camera angles and, and all that now a lot of the technical stuff he worked out on his own but i did have some input in terms of like like visual style and stuff to go. So to go from that, where it's like, so the way you see it is almost exactly the way like I would have shot it or I had envisioned it. Now, when I was on the set of the scary Annette, you know, I watched Eric and Eric was new to it. So like, you know, it was the first time he'd ever directed. It was the first time he was trying to take <laughs> his vision out of his head and put it onto the screen. And, what happened was is he found out in real time the pitfalls of everything that you see in your head does not always translate on screen. So then it becomes exactly what he said, and at the end of the day, that's what any of us have to be is that we are supposed to be creative. So if something doesn't work out in the moment, that's really the hurdles that you have to overcome that proves and shows how creative you really are. And So I'm not creative? That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but you're not. Um no, so so I could I could see him struggling at times, and then myself or Alex would kind of come in and we would talk about things, and he would say, "Okay, well we're not doing this. Well, what about this?" And we'd say, "Yeah, let's try that." Oh, well, what about this? And then we put ideas together, and then the next thing you know, the stuff that wasn't necessarily working in your head, now it works. And I've gone through the same thing, trying to figure out logistically how stuff should work. But that's the difference between you know when you just start out. And when you've been doing it for a while, visually, you kind of know what those what those pitfalls and limitations are, and then you can bring it to the screen a lot easier. Oh, yeah. I've said a bunch since this movie came out that if it hadn't been for Alex and PJ on set at the time, I'd have been screwed. Because, I mean, there there was one one instance in the, in the bedroom where something happened, and it was like, well, this isn't going to work. What are we going to do? And it was the middle of the night. I was sweating. We were all tired. And I, and I just, I mean... I probably looked like a deer in headlights. I was like, just like staring, like I have no clue. And PJ kind of looked at me like, okay, I'm going to step in here. So he stepped in <laughs> and he's like, this is what I think we should do. And I don't remember the exact answer of what he said, what it was. And it was like, boom, a boom. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I think that'll work. And then he's like, Alex, yeah, let me set it up. Give me a minute. And then 
thank God, because I mean, I was a deer in headlights. I was like, I don't, I don't know. Take a break. And what's, <laughs> and what's funny is, is this really was trial by fire for him. And it was funny because I've, I've been in the same thought process. And at one point, I think it was the, it was the second night, it was Saturday night and it was going on like two o'clock in the morning. And I'm sitting out in this living room area and they were, they, they got the shot they needed. And then they were breaking down to get uh, to, for the next shot. And Eric comes out there and just lays face down on the floor. And I go, I go, Eric, you doing all right over there? And he goes, I'm never fucking doing this ever again. And I was like, I was like, let me tell you this. Yes, you will. Because even though right now you can't see it, when this is all done, you're going to look back on it. And despite all the shit you hated, you're going to realize how much you loved doing this. And then you're going to want to do it again. And he was like, fuck that. (laughs) Time though. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I found out trying to produce and direct we were dealing with the COVID at the time. Mm. Like I said, it was the second night, two o'clock in the morning, you know, and I was beat and just couldn't think straight. And, you know, <laughs> it was like, oh, someplace not to have to tell somebody what to do. For. <laughs> <laughs> also, I hope it's okay that I cuss because I just started doing it. Yeah. I was saying anything. Well, it is now. <laughs> no, it's fine. I was oh, just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think he probably noticed that at the beginning. I, I yeah, think we're it's, good with that. I, I think it's really, I think a lot of people who have creative, uh, there's a lot of creative people, like I said, that get crushed early on. And I feel bad for those people in a way because at the end of their life, they're going to go, why didn't I try that? Why didn't I try that? And and as you work through and you, you get better at what you're doing, there's there's some there's a satisfaction that it's almost impossible to explain. When you have a you have work that you can say I did that, yeah, I, I have to agree with you one hundred percent there, and, and I'll tell you why really fast. Um, the story I told earlier about being in the horror well, that got me into doing more creative stuff as I got older. Got into theater in high school, kind of by mistake. Then loved that. Got into acting, of course, doing the makeup and doing sets and doing all that. You know, doing the curtains, lighting, I just got into everything and loved it. Went to Western Kentucky University as a theater major and just things in my life weren't going well. I got down there and the theater world was like I walked into a Russian, I, it was just so different and bizarre compared to high school. And I kind of backed away my self-esteem. I kind of built a wall with it and I was nervous and I, I was like, and I completely walked away from doing anything until I met PJ wow. basically. And being my age, you know, my wife lets me do anything. She's a love of life. She, she lets me do whatever I want. And, uh, I basically probably drove him nuts in the beginning, begging him to get to do stuff because I knew that I gave up before because things just weren't going my way and I was scared and you know what I'm saying? And, and I just didn't feel like I was good enough. And, you know, I guess, you know, being when you're comfortable in one area and you have to go to another area, my comfort level just went right out the window. So when I got this opportunity of this, I'm like, you know, screw this. I'm going to take the leap. And if I fail, I don't give a shit. I'm going to try it and I'm going to have fun along the way. Cause this is what I love to do. And thank God I ran into him because uh, we've been going strong for eight years now. So, What's funny is, is so when I, when I mean, when I first started doing this, I found there's two types of people. There's the person who sits around waiting for something to happen so then they can be a part of it. And then there's the person who goes out and does it and starts it and begin and starts building that foundation. And at the time that I started doing all this, there was no, there was, as far as I knew, there was nobody else really doing anything to the level in which I wanted to be participating. So I was sitting around going, well, I can keep waiting around for somebody else to do it, or I can say, screw it. And I can be the guy that goes out and just starts figuring out how to get it done. And that's, that's what I did. And, um, at the time I was, I had a a person I was working with. And one of the things I found out, 
um, early on was that there are people who say that they really, really want to be involved and that they're passionate and they want to do things. But once you start getting into the thick of it, you find out real fast how passionate those people are. And so what happened was, is, is I have dealt with several people who were just die hard, really wanting to be a part of this stuff. And they would maybe be, I, I worked with someone who was there in the beginning of, of a project. And then suddenly it's like, for whatever reason, they're like, Oh, my wife says I can't do something. Or they would have some reason why that they, they weren't able to be a part of it. And then they would swing back around once all the hard work was done and be like, Oh, Hey, my schedule's open again. And my wife's not, beating me so now i can be a part of it and then suddenly they want to be there to help take the credit and needless to say those are the people that you start weeding out real fast sure and i can say and i actually put a post out here here recently because and i don't i don't pat eric on the back publicly very often because it's a lot more fun to make fun of him (laughs) but uh <laughs> he does it so well. <laughs> but but I can say of all the people that I've worked with or partnered with in the last uh 13 years, he is the only one who has shown that the level of passion that he talks about does exist. He pulls his weight, he brings something to the table. He he's there from literally from conception to completion and beyond. So that's why he and I have had the longest working relationship because the people who aren't worth a damn, they don't really stick around as long as you're serious about what you're doing. Um, so I don't, you know what? I feel like I got off on a tangent. Now I can't remember what your original question was because I was, because I was too busy patent. See, I finally give Eric some compliments and I go and fuck myself over. (laughs) Well, I want to say that I'm, I'm, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you guys is, is, is because basically talking to Eric, um, I realized you guys built something, you know, you guys did some, I didn't know how many people were behind the, the blue moon pictures, or excuse me, the Blood Moon pictures. Blue Moon's a different one. That's the for, that's the porn that you guys do. I should be talking about that. And we're taking that down. <laughs> Screw Blue Moon. <laughs> but Blood Moon is you guys built something, and like I said, I didn't know. I know that you guys are working, uh, working na- nationally. You know, you're not. This isn't just something that's going on in, in where you're at. You're working with other people. You're working with other filmmakers. You're really making something happen. And to me, that's very exciting, especially for a horror fan. Uh, and you're right. Horror is one of these things that you don't have to have a star. You just have to have some good, you know, some good scares and some good blood, you know, and, that, and that's going to sell. That, uh, that's one of the reasons I love the horror genre, because even the micro cinema can do some amazing things you've never seen. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to have you guys on here and talk to you guys about this stuff. We are about out of time, but I wanted to say... Uh, if anybody wants to see, and now we talked about some of the things. I'm glad you told me where the shorts were because I I love shorts. I I love those, and and I think shorts are some of the hardest movies to make because you have to put so much into the. You have to be very uh, you know con- concise. But if I wanted to see volumes of blood, where could I get it? Well, you can go to uh, Screen Team Releasing. Um, they uh, currently have uh, that title. Um, it, is it streaming yet? It's not. It's it's getting ready to. Right. Yeah, we're we're in talks uh, yeah. to start getting volumes of blood on on streaming, but right now uh, it's only available on a special collectors edition Blu-ray. Wow. Now, if you're going to be in the Cincinnati area this weekend, I'm not sure when this is airing, but if you're going to be in the Cincinnati area this weekend, or if you're going to be this airing next week, in Lessing, so. huh? This is airing next oh, okay. week, so. Guess oh, what? Okay, well, Scarefest. Guess what you guys we'll missed? Be at Scarefest in Lexington. <laughs> we'll be at Scarefest in Lexington selling the movie there. Uh, well, hopefully, we're going to be premiering it there as well. Uh, awesome. We haven't got that confirmation yet, but we're hoping. Um, we're we're going to be at OMG Con, which is something that takes place in Owensboro. That'll be the last weekend of, of Halloween. Third weekend of Halloween. Our third week of October is when we're going to be at Scarefest. Right, and then the following weekend we're going to be at OMG Con. 
we'll be there to show uh, show the movie, and you can get the. And then, of course, anybody listening, if you weren't in Cincinnati this past weekend, you really screwed the pooch, and you didn't get a chance <laughs> to meet us and get a copy of the movie. But if you weren't in Cincinnati, you can still get the movie by going to. And actually, and this is the same with Thirteen Slaves Till Christmas, which is our newest our newest anthology, and that's also through Scream Team Releasing dot com. So that's another thing. Scream Team releasing that uh that's a that's a good name. I've I've got all kinds of stuff from Scream Team. So that's that's very cool yeah, that you got guys some, are they got some good movies. Yeah, and and of course of course you're gonna say, yeah, yeah, they would say that. <laughs> but I mean I, I think of, of of all the um of all the indie the truly indie distributors out there, uh Scream Team is the one that probably has some of the most quality films that that you'll find he's he's not just trying to pad his catalog he like justin actually searches for the best of what's out there and then tries to get his hands on it you know so he, it's it's been cool being a part of the scream team team <laughs> and <laughs> so what are, what do we and we look forward to seeing what happens in the future with that so what if you we want to hear more what do we want to know more about blood moon pictures where would we go well you can go to bloodmoonpictures.com and check out all the new stuff that's going on there. Uh, hopefully, we're going to keep that updated better than we have in the past. <laughs> We've uh, recently changed our logo and stuff and got all that on there. We uh, do have a new merch site where people wants to get some stuff, which will help support us in our next endeavor. Pretty cool stuff on there, which is at tpublic forward slash user forward slash Blood Moon Pictures. Yes, past that. That's that, Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, you can look us up at bloodmoonpictures.com. Yeah. You, Google our name. If you're really bored. <laughs> You'll find out more. Do than you, you have a U- YouTube channel? Do you have a YouTube channel? Um, I mean, we, yeah, we do have a YouTube channel. We don't do a whole lot with YouTube. Mostly it's our trailers and things like that. And of course you can find all that on, on our website. Yeah. Check out the trailers. I'm just going to tell everybody to go to bloodmoonpictures.com and check out the trailers. Yeah. Cause they are off the hook and they were just awesome trailers. Yeah. Plus, I also want to say I like I love your music, and that's a question that I was going to ask, but that that can wait till next time because I think we're going to have to have you on. We talked about the past, we talked about a little bit of the present, but we haven't talked much about the future. And I know you guys are like hopping everywhere. You're going to go all over the place with this stuff. So um, I I think if if it's okay with you, I'd like to have you on again at, at some point. Yeah, we got some pretty cool stuff coming up in December too. Hopefully, yeah. Cool. So. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on tonight. It's been a blast, and uh, hopefully Thank we'll you. see you again. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Thanks for having us on. Sorry about all the delays and <laughs> stuff. Not a, but, not yeah, a problem. Sorry. Glad we finally got to be on here. Thank you all very much. And Yeah, sorry about Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us on the True Fiction Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please visit us at Facebook. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. Until next time, stay true and stay creative. Hey, hey. You're too late.